0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Jason Johnson, a political scientist at Morgan State University. He's got this problem with Joe Biden. He says, Joe, can't keep a secret.
2: Joe Biden is your friend who's still in the driveway with a handful of balloons when you're bringing your wife up for her surprise party. It's like, geez, dude, he's <laughs> just, just wrecked it for everybody.
1: Over the last year, Jason says one of the biggest secrets Biden just couldn't keep to himself was his presidential running mate. We all know who that is now. But Jason says he was sure it would be Kamala Harris months ago. I'm going to read you something you wrote back at the beginning of July. Mm -hmm. You said Kamala Harris is going to be Joe Biden's vice president. We can debate the merits of that pending decision, just like you can debate the sunrise. But it's going to happen either way. What made you so sure?
2: Because Joe Biden talked himself into a corner about a year ago, and he didn't have many options. Joe Biden let the cat out of the bag last year. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to pick a woman VP. He's like, I'm going to pick a woman VP. And then the first names he started rattling off were like Stacey Abrams, Michelle Obama, all these black women. And his campaign did absolutely nothing. I know because I was in pretty constant contact with him. They did nothing to dispel the rumor. And then eventually the belief that Joe Biden was going to pick a black woman. And so once you say, I'm going to pick a black woman as my VP. You automatically narrowed down the list to about three, maybe four people.
1: But it's funny you say that because when you wrote that, it was a time when all sorts of other names were being floated. We were talking about Susan Rice. We were talking about Karen Bass and Val Demings. Did you just look at those folks and just say, there's no way? <laughs>
2: well, so all these other names, they were tossing them out because they're like, We're not going to get enough excitement about this when we say it. So let's pretend that this is actually an open competition. But none of those other people were really going to not Harris off her perch.
1: A vice presidential candidate. Jason says they have to not just bring in votes. They have to pass this smell test from the national media and the D.C. establishment.
2: Look. Objectively speaking, if he had picked Elizabeth Warren, right? Warren is is much more likely to galvanize young voters. But he had already said, "I'm picking a black woman." Had he picked Stacey Abrams, she would have probably galvanized black people way more than Senator Harris is. But Abrams wouldn't have been able to pass the media or the D.C. vet because they would have said, "We can't have a state senator as a heartbeat away from the president." So all of those other names were just red herrings for somebody who we always knew was going to have the job.
1: You know, you wrote this piece back in April. where you said she's exciting but not scary she's progressive but not radical she's galvanizing but not polarizing it seems like what you're saying is like she's fine
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's a very good read Here's the thing. <laughs> Joe Joe Biden isn't bold. Joe Biden isn't radical. Joe Biden isn't a big structural change guy. Joe Biden's entire campaign until black people saved him in South Carolina is a return to normal. And normal didn't make that many people happy. So Senator Harris was going to be the best pick out of all of those people available.
1: Today on the show, Kamala Harris's historic moment. What it means? Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Jason expected Kamala Harris to be Biden's VP pick, but he hasn't always been impressed by her. He used to joke that he was a Harris hater. He wasn't really. Not a hater. He just thought she was a little lacking as a politician.
2: I was critical of her because I'm a pretty equal opportunity critical person. Like, most people don't know who I really support because I'm I'm pretty equal. I got some for everybody. Um, but I saw Harris, I believe it was at Netroots Nation. And she just gave a fantastic speech. And
1: we should do a little bit of contextualizing here about what Netroots is, because it's a really progressive meeting.
2: Yes. Very left-wing. Very, very left-wing meeting.
1: Fantastic. What's up, Roots Nation? I'm so glad to be here. This was in August of 2018, one year after the Unite
2: the Right rally in Charlottesville. And she gave a fantastic speech. And what she talked about, which I thought was amazing, is she talked about white supremacy and white nationalism as a national security issue. And no one had talked about that before.
1: And they're still trying to divide us and conquer. The Russians know racism and other forms of hate have always been America's Achilles heel. And we need to deal with that weakness.
2: And I I love the fact that she was staking out a a different space for herself other than being, you know, I'm Obama 2.0 from California. I like that she had a policy area and a policy take that most people weren't brave enough to address when everybody was still tiptoeing around these issues. So that changed what I saw as Senator Harris's potential. Now, as somebody who has seen her speak a lot of times, I mean, she just set the room on fire, um, but that's not necessary in a campaign year where we're not gonna have huge rallies, where we're not gonna have 20 or 30,000 people. But what I can say directly is that she is a fantastic one-on-one retail politician. She is amazing. And I met her a couple of times. One particular time I met her in a green room. And I'm going to be candid about this. Like, you know, some of her staff were not happy with me. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't want to talk to me.
1: They'd read when you said hate her.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, they were were like, (laughs) ah. But she walked right up to me. And she was so, it's so, look, I meet politicians all the time. Incredibly friendly, incredibly engaging. And she's like, yeah, I read your stuff. And she's like, you know, we should talk. Well, I mean, I, there aren't many politicians Who can take criticism sincerely and not bully journalists or analysts or reporters in order to get that person's favor? And I was impressed by her sincerity. I was impressed by our interaction and and just the short conversation that we had. And so I was like, okay.
1: Hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of time between that moment in 2018 when you sort of saw this Kamala Harris emerge that you hadn't seen before and now, like a whole presidential primary. I'm wondering if that changed your perspective at all. Like, did she deliver on that promise you saw? Her campaign didn't. What do you mean by that? What's the difference?
2: So the person who I saw at Netroots was exciting and dynamic and had eked out a policy space for herself that I hadn't seen from anybody else. The campaign that she ran, I think, unfortunately, didn't properly address the legitimate concerns and criticisms about her criminal justice record. Look, some of the attacks on Senator Harris are bad faith attacks, right? A lot of the criticisms of her, I don't think are fair. I, I think also, let's be perfectly honest, this is an African-American woman who was attorney general of California. There was no way in heck she was going to be able to run as a radical progressive. She was never going to get elected that way. So you have to look at what she did within the structure of what she was doing. I don't think her campaign made that case well. Yeah. I don't think her campaign addressed these issues. I don't think her campaign had enough African-American validators already in the holster when she ran And then she was scrambling to get them after the campaign started. And I think that was a mistake.
1: You've really found interesting ways to articulate how Kamala Harris as a candidate brings out these different ideas in Black voters about what they want and about who they want to vote for. I was really struck by the fact that last night you were on cable TV and you were just going through some texts you'd gotten from students because you teach at Morgan State. And their opinions were all over the map and surprising. Like, what what have you been hearing from your students and how does it reflect how, I don't want to say the black electorate, it, it sounds like a monolith, but how voters are looking at Kamala Harris.
2: So it is, it, it runs the gamut. There are lots of African Americans in general, and certainly lots of black women who like Senator Harris, who always liked her, right? And therefore, they're really excited about her being the nominee. There are lots of people out there who liked another candidate, but if their candidate wasn't going to be the nominee, they for darn sure wanted somebody black on the ticket. There are some people out there that didn't really like senator harris they thought she was good they didn't necessarily think that she would be a great vp and they're unmoved by it and then you've got some people who quite legitimately they're like you know okay i guess and and i can look i can read you out another text it's like um (laughs) i got this from from a friend of mine in chicago with harris like girl i guess you know (laughs) eye -eye emoji right i got this other one from this is this is a, a, a bank executive in cleveland she texted me and said I think Harris is problematic, but okay, we need to get rid of Trump. There are people who feel that way. Now, that's not everybody, but I I think it's it's naive for us to assume that there was this big magical groundswell for a candidate that, quite frankly, didn't necessarily do as well with African-American voters as Joe Biden. So, you know, the thing about Harris is she appeals very strongly to a certain strand of the African-American community. Who is that? Um... I think she does very well with super voters, people who were already inclined to vote and who are already engaged in the process see Senator Harris and they're like about darn time. Good. The Democratic Party is listening to us. Good. She's uh, she's intelligent and she's capable and she's got all these skills. Good, 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 good. Yes. Thank you. Those people are all excited. But for the people who aren't super engaged and a lot of people that I know and the people who I talk to, they're not people who are regularly engaged. They're college educated professionals, but they don't eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff the way that I do. And most of them, they weren't Harris supporters during the primary. They weren't particularly moved by her one way or another. And those people need to be talked to. Those people need to be engaged because those people see this and they kind of give a big shoulder shrug emoji like I'm getting in my text.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's this interesting difference between who's sort of pulling the levers of power and donating the most money and who's voting.
2: (laughs) And so there's a part of this. Right. And this is this is this is cynical. This is cynical. But this is realistic as somebody who's actually run campaigns. And I'm a political scientist. For example, Senator Harris is announced as a VP yesterday. Huge fundraising day. Right. Awesome. 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 And you have. Uh, uh, You know, Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority telling people to uh, donate, you know, $1,908 or the number that is the the anniversary of the creation of the sorority. So that's good and that's organic and that's cool, right? I mean, she's going to raise that money. It's going to be this initial boost. What I also know is that these sorts of things are planned in advance, right? They're playing in advance from a standpoint that the campaign has large numbers of bundled voters and donors across the country. It's like, okay, the moment we announce the VP, you're gonna give cash. Because we need to make it look like the new VP pick is going to, you know, is going to galvanize the voters. So we, we gotta be honest about how this is set up.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the sorority because I feel like it's a real part of the Kamala Harris story. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. We discuss it like that <laughs> a lot. Can you talk about it a little bit?
2: So uh, I, I am I am non Greek, so I will say this up front for any of the Greek folks who are listening. But I mean, but it, look, if you're if if you're black and you're a professional at a certain level, you know a lot of people who are you know AKAs or deltas or zetas or anything else like that. Um, look, the sorority is a tremendous amount of power um, because African American sororities are are much stronger and more consistent groups. Than white sororities. And I don't say that as a criticism, it's just an objective fact. You know, you don't usually see 35 year old white women who are tri delts still wearing their colors. But you can go to Congress and see 80 year old African American women dressed in all red or dressed in pink and green because they're either deltas or AKAs or Zeta's. So these organizations are very, very strong, very good for raising money, very good for supporting people, and that will play a role. But just as I've said before, Senator Harris is a member of AKA. That's not every sorority. And that represents a certain kind of black people. You know, HBCUs have tiers just like, you know, predominantly white institutions. There's a big difference in going to Howard or or graduating from Spelman and Morehouse and graduating from Bowie State or Jackson State or TCU or FAMU. And so... We can't just assume that because she's a graduate of Howard, which half my family went there, tons of people have gone. That doesn't magically mean that everybody in an HBCU is in favor of Senator Harris. If that was the case, she would have stayed in the race longer. So we, 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 ha- we can't generalize. We give her credit for the great thing she's done and who she's going to galvanize. But we can't assume that that's all black people because that will be a mistake that leads to people, it leads to Biden and her losing this fall.
1: Hmm. You know, The New York Times ran this op-ed before all this where the author was arguing in favor of of Kamala Harris and she talked about how vice presidents can be ticket balancers or ticket complementers the idea being a balancer is someone who kind of brings a different perspective and signals to a constituency you're not bringing on on your own that they should vote for you and a complementer mostly kind of shores up the brand of the presidential candidate and the author made the case that Kamala Harris is a ticket balancer. but i I kind of wonder if you'd agree with that,
2: oh, not at all. No, no. She's huh. not a ticket balancer or a ticket complimenter. Um, you know, look, both she and Joe Biden are, given where our politics are now, they're they're like centrist or center left Democrats. So she doesn't balance anything. She doesn't compliment him in any particular way because, you know, Joe Biden's brand is pretty stable. He didn't, you know, it, Donald Trump was lived this grotesque hedonistic life, and so therefore getting Mike Pence, who's an ultra conservative Christian, was a balance. You know, Bill Clinton had his own problems, so getting Al Gore was a balance. John McCain seemed out of touch, and he was considered a rhino. So getting the the red meat Republicanness of Sarah Palin was a balance. That's not the same. That's not what's going on here. Joe Biden is running in one of the most unique and dangerous campaign environments we've ever had. She's not a balancer. She's competent.
1: I think you said you could put a wig on Alexa and it would be a good candidate for president. Yes. this year.
2: Yes. I mean, like that's all you'd have to do. You know, I mean, you could go out to you could go out to the to the to the the, the West Wing of the White House in a Roomba and a suit and it'd still be better than getting from Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Joe Biden didn't have to pick her in order to win California. Joe Biden had to to pick someone African American in order to show his appreciation for black voters but she's not Harris hasn't been selected for this job the way that most other people have in the past.
1: Yeah, I mean when I thought about it I wondered if maybe Kamala Harris has the appearance of being a balancer mm-hmm. but is perhaps a complementer in some ways cuz like I kept thinking about that moment at the debate where she confronted Joe Biden about segregation and bussing, and it was so strong, and she got a surge of support afterwards. But then when she was asked about it later, it was clear that she didn't really have strong feelings about bussing.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: bussing is a tool among the many that should be considered women when we the um, address system. the issue, which is a very
0: Why current issue, as well as a past issue, Why of
1: desegregation in, in
0: American schools.
1: And to me, I was like, this is this is the issue, (laughs) which is that she's she very much kind of aligns with Biden philosophically, but she seems different. Maybe
2: Mm -hmm. you make this big, big thing about Joe Biden and his position on busing. But then when they ask you. You know, it, it's 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 the curb your enthusiasm is like, it's like <laughs> how do you really feel about this? Right. And those are the kinds of things that people don't like, because then it makes it seem performative as opposed to uh, sincere criticism.
1: Are there ways that she might push this presidency, if it happens, left or in a different direction, like places where they do differentiate in some way?
2: Um, I, I don't think she's going to push it left, but what I've, I've always said that I think will be Harris's strength is, and some people have mentioned this, you know, as AG of California, she actually like, she was responsible for a bigger staff than the White House staff. And her most important job as somebody who knows the law, who's, who's done these sort of fantastic hearings where she's held people, you know, held their feet to the fire is her job is going to be to go through this entire administration with a microscope, a fine tooth comb and a pen and a pad and, and, and get rid of all of the Trumpists, the white nationalists and the maniacs and the incompetence that Trump has put into office and come up with the rules and the laws and the statutes that we need to put in place to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. I mean, there are so many statutes and so many rules and norms about American government that were never encoded in the law. We just assumed that was the case because we thought a decent person would have the job or we thought that another branch would hold them in check. And we've seen that that's not what's happening now. And I think Harris as a manager, Harris as a prosecutor, Harris as somebody who knows the law very well, I think she'll be excellent at going behind and making sure we rebuild this government that has been torn down to the nuts and bolts. So I don't think that's a left or right move because like I said, I think Harris and Biden are running on a campaign of competence. And part of her competence will be rebuilding a government that's been destroyed.
1: Hmm. You've had this one particular word of warning about the Biden-Harris ticket in the last month or so. You wrote an article entitled, Can Biden and Harris Take a Punch? History says no and Trump can't wait. What did you mean by that?
2: I mean that neither Joe Biden nor Senator Harris— if we go by the debates, if we go by recent conversations and speeches, they are particularly weak on things that they should already have, you know, solved. Look, Joe Biden could have said a year ago, yeah, I'm sorry about the crime bill. There you go. Just say you're sorry. It's cool. Move on. Right. You've had tons of people say they were sorry about their vote for Iraq. And then it's a done issue. Joe Biden's general refusal to take responsibility for that or he gives these sort of gobbledygook answers. Well, we didn't want the mass incarceration, but we did want the, you know, we wanted the the midnight basketball. It's like, dude, just say you're sorry, and then keep it moving. Senator Harris sometimes has the same problem, where when it comes to criminal justice reform, when it comes to criticism of, oh, you know, you, you didn't prosecute enough dirty cops, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. She doesn't always give the most direct answer. Now, she gave an amazing speech in June of 2019 at the South Carolina NAACP. And she, made, she took on this whole argument that she threw people in jail, that she threw black men in jail. And she said, look, Regardless I think personal safety is a civil right.
1: And let's talk about a myth,
2: a myth that black people don't want public safety. That is simply not true. Every community wants to be safe. It was a fantastic speech. That needs to be what she says. Mike Pence isn't going to beat Senator Harris in a debate. All he's got to do is make her stumble. And that's what these two have to be prepared for. They've got to be prepared for the hits, both legitimate and illegitimate, because that's what they're going to face with Trump.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that already the Republicans have been running this ad in Georgia, which has a black woman voiceover. And really hits Biden hard on crime.
0: Joe Biden's policies destroyed millions of Black lives. Joe Biden may not remember, but we do.
1: It's just strictly an anti-Biden ad. That's all it's saying. And it's sort of fascinating to me. In some ways, it seems to be like stealing the ideas of election interference last time around to create questions in people's head and try to just, you know, cut the other candidate off at the knees
2: wherever you can. Yes. The goal of the Republicans is going to say if you look at Joe Biden's crime bill and you look at Senator Harris, these guys aren't going to do you any good. That's their only goal. Their only goal is to try and suppress the vote by attacking as much as they can. And what Harris has to do, in particular, because Joe is Joe, what Harris is going to have to do is go out and make those arguments about competence and difference. What Harris is going to have to do is go out and tell the 27 year old. Who lost her job as an assistant manager at Verizon because of you know COVID shutdown? She's going to go to that woman and say, you know what, uh, we're going to help bring your job back. You know what, we're going to protect your health care. She's got to go to the school teacher who's like, look, I can't go to school because I care for my mom, and she's going to say, look, with our new administration, we're going to take care of you. Their competence argument. That's going to be her difference maker. And that's how she can galvanize the black vote by saying these are practical things I'm going to do in your life because that symbolic nonsense that I'm going to stand on your shoulders. That's good if you're already up there. But if you're in the muck, standing on her shoulders in a symbolic way is not going to change your life or pay your bills.
1: Hmm. Knowing what you know about the senator as a candidate. What are her challenges in doing that? in reaching out to the young voters and Black voters and people who are struggling right now because she really did not win the Black vote as a primary candidate.
2: Her challenge is that lots of people that I know, um, and some of this we speak anecdotally, they've never found her to be particularly authentic. They don't find her believable and connectable in the way that they do, say, a Michelle Obama or a Maxine Waters or even a Valdemix. Right. And so when we have these conversations about in the black community about being seen, do I feel seen? Do I feel validated? You know, Senator Harris has a background and a lifestyle. It's a lot like Barack Obama. It's a lot like Barack Obama. It's not the story of most black people in this country. Most black people in America aren't biracial who were raised in Kansas and Hawaii.
1: And Barack Obama had to do a lot
2: of work, as I exactly. He had to do a lot of work. But you know who did the most work? Michelle Obama. She Mm. did the work. She was his ultimate validator. In South Carolina... When people were like, I don't know if I trust this, this guy with the funny name and everything else like that, but it was his black wife who went to Princeton from the south side of Chicago who went down there and said, hey, church moms, he's good. He's a good husband and a wonderful father, and he takes care of my daughters, and by the way, he listens to Jay-Z, right? <laughs> Senator Harris doesn't have that. Doug Emhoff is a great guy. That's her husband. E- everything about Doug Emhoff that you ever see on TV seems like the nicest, nicest cul-de-sac neighbor you could ever have, right? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 Doug Emhoff is not the person that you're going to send to uh, to, to to central Georgia to talk to a bunch of working class black people. That's not where you're going to send Doug Emhoff. So her challenge is going to be, as it was during the primary, finding validators who are local, who can say, look, this is going to be a black woman in the White House who feels your pain who understands your needs and is going to prioritize the things that you want prioritized. That will always be her challenge. It will also be her challenge to make young people care because most young people that I speak to, they lived through eight years of Barack Obama and it made them feel good. And then it got followed by Trump. So they want something big because they have this sense of disappointment of like, man, we thought things were changing And we're not just going to be satisfied with the same old, same old, because that didn't prevent us from Trump and that didn't prevent us from COVID. So that's that's going to be her challenge. But I think she can do it because, like I said, on one on one small settings, Senator Harris is really fantastic.
1: So get her on like a bunch of Zoom calls where she's just like face to face with you.
2: (laughs) Face to face Zoom calls with 50 or 60 people at a time of which you can line up all day now. You don't have to get on a plane. Um, I think she's magnificent. And I think that's that's going to have to be the way she goes about doing it.
1: Dr. Jason Johnson, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you. Had a fantastic time.
1: Jason Johnson is a politics and journalism professor at Morgan State. He's also a political contributor at MSNBC and The Grio. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Danielle Hewitt. We're getting a little help this week from Daniel Avis. We always have the support of Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. I'm Mary Harris. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. But meanwhile, I'll catch you back here on Monday.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty,